Hey everybody, it is, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, right, sorry, I forgot the name of the fucking show. <laughs> oh, uh, that was embarrassing. I, I, I was ready to say hit rewind, but that's not what we're doing this time. Alright, so everybody, Video Night Beyond is where we just select sci-fi and fantasy movies and kind of off-kilter weirdo movies. Uh, starting at 1980 and working our way up through time, we are in the year 1983, and we are discussing... What's the first movie, John? Well, let's do the most simple... Well, not the simplest one, but... Uh, uh, how about Strange Invaders? Okay, a movie I have... Kind of watch bits and pieces of on cable. It used to play on A and E all the time, or it was Bravo. And uh, I finally watched it for the whole the whole thing through, and I loved it. I was blown away about how fun it was, and the special effects. Holy shit, those are good for 1983. Well, I will give it the the special effects. I will. Uh, I do think the aliens are sufficiently uh, gross, and like the people taking off their their human skins and revealing these creatures underneath is. That was literally the only thing I knew about this movie going into it was I'd seen gifts of this. And then it film started, and I'm like, so it's a comedy? <laughs> well. And then, it, what it is, is it's a throwback, kind of a parody, kind of not, of the movies of like the 1950s. And I don't think it, I have to disagree with you on this one. I don't think this succeeded in any way. This just was boring. I mean, even for the type of film that it's trying to be, it's boring. Wow, it's not... I really enjoyed it, and I love his previous film, Strange Behavior. What's well, the thing? I think uh, there's a film that came out in '99 called Invasion, also known as Top of the Food Chain, and I really think it does this kind of concept better, albeit a bit weirder too. But it's far more. one so um what is our next film It's interesting because with anthology movies, if you don't like one story, wait a little bit, you'll get another one. And, and they're so wildly different uh, in this one. I think the tone is a little off 
when it comes to unifying the stories, like the way like T Tales from the Dark Side or Creepshow would do. But that's the point, is that Twilight Zone covered more than just scary stories. And so what is the first yeah, story? Yeah. Well, the first story, and I also have a lot of notes because of this one. Uh, this is the only original story in the lot. And, well, actually, technically, there's a wraparound story, too. Should we talk about that nah, one? Nah, it's okay. It's kind of just there to be there. Yeah, it's basically just Dan Aykroyd and... Uh, and uh, Albert Brooks are in a car, Aykroyd turns into a monster, kills the guy, and he pops up at the end of the film, too. But, yeah. uh, but the first story is Vic Moreau is this dickhead racist who ends up fighting himself in these situations where he's the very people that he's ranting against at the beginning of the, of the uh, thing. He's a Jew in World War II, Nazi-controlled France. He becomes a black man who's... Thankfully, not in blackface. Oh, thank God. His blackface is going to be lynched by the KKK. And he's also in Vietnam, trying to be avoid, avoid being killed by U.S. soldiers. And then, ultimately, finds himself back in World War II, where the SSS, SS soldiers capture him and ship him off to a death camp. While he eats a brief glimpse of his, of his little, uh, kind of racist friends, too, just, you know, leaving the bar that they were just in. And he can't, they don't see him, he just gets sent off to his ultimate fate. The problem is this was uh, John, this John Landis uh, was directed, directed this piece, and this is the one that kind of gave this film a lot of controversy. Right, a lot of notoriety. Because, yeah, because uh, it basically was a, it was a basis of a decade of civil and criminal trials due to the fact that during the shoot, Vic Moreau and these two Vietnamese children, uh, Micah Dinley and Renee Shinyi Chen, were killed with a, when a, motor, a helicopter stunt went wrong. And basically, aside from circumventing child labor laws about having the children work at night, kids weren't supposed to be part of a stunt anyway. Yeah. So they kind of kind of hid them from the uh, from the safety inspectors, had the parents lie about you know their kids' involvement. And then basically the stunt basically during this helicopter stunt, some mortars, there's like a helicopter flying low and mortars are gonna go off and apparently a mortar like hit too close to the back of the helicopter and he hit it and you know he ultimately crashed and killed the three. Yeah, it's it, John Landis was known for doing very dangerous stunts. I mean, he had pulled some shit on uh, Blues Brothers that cost a fortune and got a lot of people hurt because he used real dynamite instead of uh, proper explosives. And this is kind of his notoriety. He would not play safe. He kept breaking the rules, and this bit him in the fucking ass, and it should have destroyed his career. And I didn't know this at the time, but I can't believe that he was allowed to continue to work after this. Yeah, he's, he had quite a few films after this, and... It's like, the worst thing about it is, you know, it's like, okay, everybody, it was like, everyone was acquitted in the accident, which, you know, okay, but he's, Landis has never accepted any responsibility for what happened. You know, it's, he just he passed the blame all to the people who are running the stunt, but he's the guy in charge. Right. And so, the only good if you want to call this a, necessarily a good thing, I mean, it is a good thing, but out of the strategy is basically like 
the film industry had to re- seriously re-examine its safety guidelines after this because any of this shit is not gonna. They, no one's gonna allow this level of tragedy to ever happen again. Yeah, it, that's, it does mar the first segment. I also think the first segment's just a little too heavy-handed. Yeah, it's, it is very on the nose of what they're trying to do. But at the same time, that is kind of the Twilight Zone. That's true. Which, which then, to the second, the second point, which is the it was second, point, second segment, which is the Stuart-directed segment, is, is very early, definitely very early Spielberg, very... Saccharin Spielberg. Oh, this one's so boring. <laughs> now, see, I, I will say this. I like the segment, but one, I totally agree. It is, like, it feels, even for, like, uh, it's not even that long the segment, but it feels like it goes on way too long. And it's basically just about an elderly, elderly guy uh, played by Scatman Crothers comes into this, uh, old folks home and at night has the has the residents sneak out to play kick the can and they turn into kids but then oh no you know what are we gonna we can't who's gonna take care of us what's gonna happen to our future so most of the kids decide to grow back up and then of course oh you know one of them doesn't and decides to run off and relive his life yeah it's uh it feels more like it belongs with amazing stories but this was original twilight zone story yeah. And, uh, called Kick the Cat. Of yeah, all I um, could go without this and, one. <laughs> and like I said, it's, it's schmaltzy. If you, if you don't like that sort of thing, it's definitely not going to be your, you know, your groove. I, I, especially getting older, I'm just kind of like, schmaltzy just kind of works for me, and I don't know why. <laughs> just, I'm softening my old age. I guess. <laughs> what is the next segment? <laughs> The next one is It's a Good Life, where it has this young school teacher finding herself in a town that's controlled by a little demon spawn. <laughs> Done by Joe Landis, which I think really works so well for this segment because he has that wacky sense of humor. Yeah, he, he made a wonderfully demented live-action cartoon. And honestly, I think of the segments, this is the scariest one. Yeah. Because, like, there's... Like the reveal, like we have, like one of the his, the his older sister is watching TV, and you get this little reveal where, you know, oh yeah, she's like stuck in a wheelchair, and then we find out also she doesn't have a mouth. Yeah, that's pretty disturbing. Like you're like, oh shit, and it's basically these poor people have become this kid's surrogate family because he killed off his original parents. Oh. Yeah, I think Joe Dante had a really good talent for balancing like this wacky, bizarre humor, but with some seriously fucked up, like sub weird stuff. You know, like Gremlins yeah, is terrifying that's... with a different director, but it has a weird way of being funny and uh, and uh, scary. Yeah, it's it basically just kind of have you know same thing like Piranha that he did. It's he knows how to balance humor. But with both the horror stuff, so you kind of, you're able to, you doesn't have to lean in one direction or the other to overcome, you know, overcompensating for one. So, yeah, this, this is a segment I think is 
Maybe not the best segment of the film. I think that's the next one, but it is definitely the scariest. Yeah. Uh, the four is pretty close, but a lot is about Lithgow. Holy shit, is that a performance? Yeah, nightmare at 20,000 feet. There's something on the wing. <laughs> something. Because, yeah, that was William Shatner, the original passenger being terrorized by a goblin monster on the wing. This one got Lithgow, and, yeah, Lithgow is, gets wonderfully crazy and crazy as this thing, as this happens, and the creature is... Is gross, but it's very, very puppety. Yeah, yeah. To a point that it's just like it's not not necessarily. I don't think it's. I think it's the best thing. So I think the tension that uh, George Miller George Miller gives this, you know, this is this is a hell of a bit. I don't think the creature is necessarily scary, or even like it. Just kind of like it's. It just kind of wants to fuck around, and that's it. You know, like, it's going to kill as many people as it can, but when it gets to the point where the plane's about to land, it's just kind of like, ah, 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 and then flies away. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's like, weird that it's like his first really, uh, George Miller's first and only, like, thriller. Yeah, because most of what he's done has been either action or later on hit stuff, and then action. But one thing is, what I do, uh, I do think works for this film as a whole, even though stories are not necessarily uh, conducive to, to a whole, how they're shot, there is still a fairly strong visual, uh, visual feeling, even, again, between three segments that are pretty dark and disturbing in a way, but... And, you know, with Spielberg saying, but yet there's still a very similar film language being spoken amongst all four of these things. Yeah. Like, if you, if you, you can tell that these are different directors, but you can also say, oh no, this was all done by Spielberg. Right, there's a unified feel. Oh, this, this is all John Landis. I can believe it. Like, I could see this could have been one whole film done by one person. Yeah, yeah that, that I don't know. Like, Kick the can doesn't seem like it fits in with the other three. <laughs> well, well, even then, Dante's segment is the most cartoonish. So his his most stylistic, you know, of the of the thing. But there's still the stuff at the beginning in the town and at the end in the weird, weird uh, nebulous sound stage that they shot it in with white light, <laughs> the void. Yeah. It still kind of feels like Spielberg could have shot all that stuff. So, it's still, like I said, I feel like there's still a lot, the film visually exists in a little bit more cohesive than the stories actually actually are. Alright, so I say yes on this one, except one part. But Yes, the, the first segment does, when you know about it, it, it does, does make it a bit, you know, harder to watch but sometimes you just kind of have to go and ex- you know accept art for its art even if it makes it a little squidgy yeah alright what is their next film well let's do Videodrome 
Oh my god, the biggest mind fuck I've ever seen from a studio. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, and it's so fascinating. I still don't know exactly what's going on. <laughs> I love this movie, and it makes me dirty saying I love this movie. Because, uh, okay, this is a film that's basically about a uh, about sex, sexuality, and violence and the media. Well, violence in TV. That's well, that's the media, but it's there's a lot of David Cronenberg looking at the sort of like I don't want to necessarily say transgressive nature of S and M and stuff like that, but you know he's he's looking at you know the fact that you have uh, Debbie Harry. Uh, being a woman who likes to be cut and branded, thus her name, Nikki Brand. No. <laughs> is very is very into the idea of this uh, kind of weird torture sadist uh, pirate TV show that's called Videodrome that uh, James Woods comes across, and it's it's so weird and dark and their stomach vaginas <laughs> Jesus lot, there's lots of goo lots of goop and gore and just fucking weird shit and um it's so funny that the what he's commenting on would not happen for like another 20 years because this is 1983 and well I guess maybe a little bit not be that, that far but we didn't get really extreme television until like the late 90s early 2000s so he was so far ahead of the game. Of course, Videodrome is still just never going to be actually on the air. But, you know, just trying to find... It's like... The well, video, it Videodrome is, is like early YouTube. Of, yeah. It's on the air. We have uh, Game of Thrones, for God's sakes. Westworld. I mean, there's... While Videodrome has, you know, plot, it's basically just a single room where they beat the living crap out of people or... You know, it, it's effectively stuff TV is what's found out you find out that it is well it's actually more than that but <laughs> the the basic concept of the the program and not what's in the program is yeah just stuff tv existing to make james woods's character uh excited in a weird way yeah but one thing i have to say though is ever since i saw this movie i was actually I, they're obsessed with the idea of Brian Oblivion's cathode ray mission. Like I named both fictional and a actual short, like short-lived techno band, <laughs> techno the project I was doing after that thing, and I might resurrect it because I've been the music show that we've been doing is kind of getting me back into very discordant and dissonant. Okay. But I like the, the idea of how technology is overwhelming our senses. And there's this church out there dedicated to the whole idea that television is the retina of the mind's eye. And whatever you see on TV becomes real, changing how you actually perceive actual reality. It's like such an interesting idea. Like, yeah, yeah, you never thought that that was in a movie about stomach vaginas and fleshy tapes. Well, it's so weird that after this... Yeah, this is uh, or eating. It looked like he was eating out of TV, but um, he's 
he's basically playing with studio money now, even though it was, I think it was a negative pickup from Canadian money because I think Pierre David produced it. But after this, he goes mainstream. And it's so weird that they looked at this and said, yeah, give him the fly. And it had to have been the organic horror that he was like, yeah, I can do that. You know, the body horror. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Because, like, this is still, aside from the stuff that I mentioned before, like, there's a bit where James Woods looks at his hand and this gun starts grafting itself into it. Yeah. And there's another one where one of the villains who's trying to manipulate uh, James Woods somehow ends up with a uh, grenade for a hand and blows up. I, I don't know. Okay. As much as this film starts to play with the idea that our heroes, again, his perception of reality is now totally messed up. Somehow, somehow this guy's hand becomes a grenade because he explodes. And people are seeing and I don't think James Woods had a, had an old, you know, uh, an old grenade that he handed this dude and said, here, hang on to this. And then everyone's screaming as he blows up. Or the dude at the end of the film, our, our main, main villain, who becomes like a mass of tumors. Oh, God, what the fuck shot. was that? How the fuck was that? Yeah, that, I don't know. It's, there's some, this, this is a, this is one of these films that's rated R, that seriously, even at its R rating at this point, I think shouldn't be rated R. It should be like NC seventeen X whatever. Yeah, it's it's pretty dark. And you know what's funny is Existence feels like a sequel to this, a spiritual sequel. Oh yeah, that's the. This is definitely one of the things that Cronenberg is very very interested in is technology and its impact on on all of us and how. Again, how how these things can mess with our minds. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's truly the best film of the group here. And uh, here's for the silliest one. Yeah. I still can't believe you said yes to this one. Okay. <laughs> I had to pick this. Because it was on the list, and you know, I saw a video drill first, and I went, We're, "I would love to talk about video drill." And then I saw this, and I went. This will be the most awesome bit of counter programming ever. <laughs> it's a palate cleanser for sure. The magic flute. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a it's a 1970s film back when the Smurfs were not a popular character yet. Um, you might find it odd that they didn't show up till like halfway through the movie because in the 70s it was Johan and Pee Wee, or I think it's called Pee Wit in the original version, meet the Smurfs. So that's why those two are the main focus. And even in the first couple seasons of the TV show, they were uh, a big part of it, and then they just got rid of them. The Smurfs uh, didn't blow up until the early 80s. Yeah, because that's the thing is, I, I genuinely do not know if I've seen this movie. I saw like, this a thousand I, times I, as a child. It's like, I know as a kid, I've seen, you know, I saw the Transformers movie. That definitely messed with my head. Uh, you know, see G.I. Joe. I know I saw the damn Care Bears movie as a child. <laughs> this one, I, I don't know. Like, like the, the character Pee-wee or uh, William in the version that I really, I fully watched because uh, I saw the uh, European cut first and I kind of watched the American version a little bit thereafter. But I recognize that character somehow, but I don't really 
there's nothing about the film that remind that makes you think of anything. But yeah, it takes a half hour of an hour and eleven minute film for the Smurfs to sh- well, technically no, the Smurfs do kind of show up. You hear them earlier on, but before you actually see them and you go to the land of the Smurfs, yeah, it's like you're halfway through the film. Yeah, it's it's um, the two versions. The one that you know from Shout Factory that's that you saw that's been widely released for about a decade now is the European cut. I saw the version that was picked up and redubbed, and only the VHS copy exists, so it was kind of murky. But the voice work in the American version, I think, is much funnier. Well, there's only one joke in this entire film that I think almost works, and it. I don't know if it is closer to working in the American dub or not, but it's that one where, because Pee Wee is this guy who thinks he's a musician and he's not, and he annoys everybody by trying to sing, and at one point this merchant shows up with instruments, and you know, he's showing off all these things, and then he pops up with this uh, musical instrument that's very Dr. Seussian. And he's just sitting there like, I don't know what this is called, but it makes a lot of noise. And it almost works in the original dub, in the original American dub. I can't remember if it works any better in the secondary dub, but it's a joke that I think if they went and redid this, like redubbed it now, I know someone would be able to pull that joke off easily. But it's a good it's a good fit, just the limits of the voice acting. Yeah. Just, just I, don't do it. Now what did you prefer? Did you prefer the European voice work or the American? I kinda of prefer the the European voice work, although I think the smurfs are a little less annoying in the American. Yeah, they do a weird... This is before we have Smurfette and they really established all the characters. There's only like a dozen characters they they mention in Papa Smurf, of course. But they do a weird audio trick in uh, the American version to make them seem like they're from another planet almost. Yeah, and part of it is... I I, I do respect this film. This film has songs. And I'll tell you this right now. All the songs suck. (laughs) But they do at least sing a song in this film that illustrate how stupid and annoying it is for every word to be smirk. Yep. Right now, to be smirk. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fun tum- uh, time waster. Um, it's like you said, it's only 110 minutes. When you take out the credits, it's like 100 minutes. Uh, yeah, I found on YouTube. It's pretty much everywhere, both versions. Yeah, it, if you got young kids, it's it's something that kids will be able to latch on to it and enjoy. It's there's nothing. There's nothing in it that's going to, like, really blow their mind, but it's also nothing that's going to, it'll, it'll keep them interested, I'm right. pretty sure. Well, it's interesting that this is before Gar- uh, Gargamel and Azrael were the main villains. You have a whole different uh, set. And it has, I feel, more medieval feel to it than the, the series. Well, it's one thing I never really thought about was that it was kind of set in the Middle Ages, because, you know, you, there's really... At least, as I recall from the cartoon, very little context to anything that happens. It's just kind of like this weird old dude in the forest who wants to eat the Smurfs with his cat. And and the Smurfs kind of do their own thing, which apparently there's a world of the Smurfs or whatever it is. 
that it's it's very nebulously explained that this weird wizard dude kind of drugs Pee Wee and John or Jonathan, uh, Jonathan or whatever. Johan. Johan. He drugs them and then they wake up and I think he just takes them out the door after maybe stealing their money <laughs> and just says, here, just throw over here. And they're just so high off whatever he gave them that he, they just buy it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's just a fun little uh, uh, just an afternoon watch when you're not too focused on it. But um, of the four movies, which is your favorite? Videodrome is yeah. still the, the favorite of them. Yeah. Although I will say this, I didn't have to. I really didn't have to rewatch Twilight Zone. I really remember. Yeah, that film. same here. It's the only one I didn't rewatch. That was one of those I taped off TV when I was first allowed to watch scary movies, and I watched it so many times. So that is it of the four films. Check us out on Facebook under Video Night Podcast. And as you've seen the pattern going, the next episode will be 1984. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't remember what we have on there, but I, I think Supergirl is one of them. Yeah. Uh, you said no to Dune. Um, Unless there's something bad. Unless something bad that we no, can No, we, we have it. We have the list somewhere. I lost it. I poured water all over my, my notebook and I had to throw away it. But I, I'm sure it's somewhere. If not, we'll remake the list. Oh, yes. sorry, stretching. Okay, that is everybody. Check us out. Uh, you know, all right, so check John out on Twitter at musician M Y U Z I S H I O N. I am also on Twitch, and I've started streaming games, so you can watch me play games badly. Oh, speaking of playing games badly, the game that we talked about in the last episode of Hit Rewind, Dragon Spirit. I played it. It's gorgeous. Oh my God, it's impossible to play. It's so hard. It takes your quarters. If you were in the arcade playing, it would take your quarters and kick you in the ball and say, next time, kid. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bully game. All right, that's it. I got to go. Well, yeah, that's, that's all old, old video games. Yeah, brutal. All right, have a good one. <laughs>